Christ has lived this. Mm-hmm. These are the prophetic words of what Christ would live. Mm-hmm. And it was such a moment of, I think, personal intimacy and connection with Jesus that I felt like, okay, I'm understood and I'm deeply, deeply loved. And no, no, even in my worst questions about God, even with all this garbage that had been through my soul, somehow God still loved me and was still there for me. And it was just the beginning. I mean, again, it's a process. Everything is a process. But it was the beginning of sort of a light seeping. It was like a crack in the door. Welcome to The Brave Place, where we journey into the lives of brave men and women who have beat the odds or who are in the trenches right now. Difference makers who have truly discovered the warrior that lives within and are living it out. This is the place that will inspire, encourage, enlighten, and challenge that brave person that lives deep down within all of us. Welcome back to The Brave Place. I'm your host, Christy Rodriguez, and I am so excited to introduce you to an inspiring person. Um, I recently got a hold of her latest book, and it's called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And uh, Dr. Lena Abujamra, she's a pediatric ER doctor, now practicing telemedicine. She's also the founder of Living with Power Ministries, a Bible teacher, a sought-after speaker, a podcaster, and the author of several books, including Thrive, Stripped, Resolved, and her most recent book, which will be our main focus today about Fractured Faith. Um, Such a phenomenal book. Um, And also, even to add to that, she ministers to singles through her Moody radio show and is engaged in providing medical care to Syrian refugees in the Middle East. Plus, if that's not enough, her ministry provides spiritual retreats for women at the Hope Ranch near Chicago. So Dr. Lena, thanks so much for hanging out with us here at The Brave Place. It's so fun to be with you and to get to know you a little, Christy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. But before we even get started about the book, I've got to ask you, do you even sleep? (laughs) I know. I'm always tired when people go over all that stuff. But, you know, I was thinking about it when you started rattling off the stats and I was like, you know, we just did it one thing at a time, you know, it's just like anything else. And I'm old. I'm not young anymore. And so over the years, things accumulate. And I think that's an encouraging thing for people to hear in the sense that a lot of times you want to quit before the work develops. And if you just keep taking things one step at a time, someday, you know, you kind of look back and go, my gosh, how did this all happen? And so the Lord's been very faithful. I'm so grateful. Well, I love it. And I know it has so much to do with you saying yes to the Lord too. And just what he's done is just exponential in your life. And so I just want to thank you for saying yes to God. Oh, thank you. It's not always easy, as you know, but it's always worth it. I, I'm with you on that. I agree 100%. Well, with your book, Fractured Faith, which I just love this book. In fact, I had a hard time narrowing down my questions for this interview because I have literally 16 pages, I'm not kidding you, of type <laughs> notes from this book. I just, it's so relatable, it's so jam packed with truth. Every believer has wrestled with everything you talk about in this book. It it really blew me away. And I thought it's about time someone really took a a deep, hard, honest look. And besides that, you reveal so much about yourself, your vulnerability, your honesty uh, is also so engaging and captured me in this Mm -hmm. book. And I think it will capture so many people when they get a chance to read it. So I really wanted to feature this. I'm excited to talk to you today. And so let's just dive in. Obviously, where we are in our culture today, so many people questioning God, wanting to walk away from the God that they've served for so long. And you touch on questions every believer will wrestle with. Where is God in my pain? Why 
did my story end up this way? Why can't I overcome sin in my life? How do we change our desires? Is this the normal Christian life? Is it supposed to be this hard? And those are oh, all questions that I have wrestled with personally. I know our listeners have too. And from reading this book, I know this all came from your own experiences. So just tell me a little bit about what happened to inspire you to write a book about just how we've struggled with possibly leading down the road of a deconstructed faith. Yeah, the popular word now, deconstruction, everybody's talking about it. In fact, just yesterday, uh, I read another account of a famous apologist who now has deconstructed. And so it always feels like such a big deal because it is a big deal. And then it always feels like it's happening out there, but you never think it can happen to you. And so for me, you know, I've been through a lot of disappointment in my Christian life. It wasn't certainly I wasn't naive to the Christian faith. I came to Christ as a child in Lebanon. I um, am Lebanese. We grew up in the Civil War era in Lebanon, moved to the United States of all places to Green Bay, Wisconsin in my teen years and gave my, I'd already received Jesus, but I had sort of a, a camp moment, you know, at the summer camp and just sort of felt God's presence so deeply and gave life, dedicated my life to Christ. And so, I, you know, after those years, I went through the ups and downs of, you know, the difficult Christian life that, you know, college students and, and decision-making and went through a big heartbreak, broken engagement. So I was seasoned in, in these things. And, and so I, I can't say that, that I wasn't expecting that the Christian life would be hard. But I think what happens little by little as you face um, disappointments in your Christian life, I think there's a point where you sort of start to question, hey, what, what's ha- where is God here? Why is this keep happening? But, but the peak of that, for me, happened as it pertains to leaving my church home. It was more than just leaving the church. You know, any time I talk about this topic, I always feel like, you know, I think most people sort of intuitively understand, you can leave a church. You can, you know, get in an argument and people leave and it's not a big deal. But what's happened in the last several years in the United States, it's much bigger than that. And so I was part of a big mega movement, you know, church in Chicago, exciting for several years. You know, I landed in that church after feeling called by God to teach the Bible. My whole life was like about everything I was doing. I was working in medicine just to pay the bills, basically. I was a tent maker. By the time I started in Chicago, my tenure there as an attending physician and I started going to that church and giving myself fully to whatever God had for me, it felt like everything in my life was lined up for this breakthrough movement of God. And and that was sort of the image that was being portrayed at this church. Like, if you're doing anything for God, it's going to be big, it's going to be impactful, you're in the best place to be. And in the midst of this fervor, things started happening. The foundation of leadership started cracking and people started talking, and at first you ignore it, and then you ignore it again, and then you defend, and then one day you wake up and go, my gosh, there's something going on here that isn't normal. Mm. And that led to, after a couple of years, in 2013, I ended up leaving, and I was one of those very much an insider. I'd been, I had worked at that church as the leader of the women's ministry. I was close to the circle of inside people, you know, the pastor and others, and um, it was a, it was a it was a really, really hard decision because it was more than just leaving my church. It was sort of walking away in a sense from my dream yeah. of serving God at a very high capacity where I felt like I was doing things that mattered for God. And I felt because God had led me in the move that God would defend me, that he would show everybody that the shares were on apples there. And I wasn't <laughs> one of them. And so I didn't say much after I left, but I remember leaving and wanting to protect, you know, the church and the flock and not saying much. And, and, and then about a year into it, two years into it, it started to really, like, I thought it would just be as, you know, I don't know what I thought, honestly, even then. I look back now and I think what shocked me and what really led to eventually the writing of the book is how little engaged God 
seems, and the big emphasis on the word seems to be in that era, mm. in that moment, in that season. He, now I look back and see all of the ways that he was involved. But when I was walking through what now people talk about the dark night of the school, this questioning of who God is, who the church is, who these leaders are, how could God allow us to go to do these things? Where is God? Why isn't he saying anything? Why isn't he defending? Why is my ministry plateaued? And they're just explosive questions that are rooted in our deepest desires for me was to serve the Lord went from questioning the leadership at the church to questioning God and who did he prefer? Does he prefer them? Does he prefer me? Do I, am I even his child? I mean, and those sorts of questions that, you know, is this book to be trusted? And so that eventually, you know, of course, I talk about in the book how I work through it. And so the questions of each chapter basically are those questions that you run into and the pattern of how we tend to numb our pain with things that aren't good for us. But but you're almost like you're like you're, you get so frustrated with God, you just do things that we think will help us feel better, but they don't. And then eventually one day you wake up in the pit and you realize that God has never let go of you. Mm. And to me, that was the turning point. And, and so I talk about that. Of course, you've read the book. and But that's the gist of how I started re- you know, down that path and never wanted to write about it. Never would have wanted anyone. I was, I was in ministry all these years as I was wrestling through these questions. And, you know, it's easier to shove it all under a rug and and and, and act like everything is fine. But God is much too honest for us. And this is a gift that he gives us in scripture. He's so honest with the challenges that every person in scripture has faced. And so we're no different. And so it was really an honor to be asked by Moody. At one, you know, we, in conversation with Moody, I ended up writing on this experience. And now, a few years after the fact, I can see why, because we're living in the culture of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, really been mm-hmm. sort of a gift to be able to minister to someone somewhere who's hurting in, in the season of their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I love how you say, and I can look back now and see, and I think that's such an important point because so many of us just walking, you know, we, we walk in confusion, doubt, um, just not understanding. And then years later we look back and we go, Oh, I see you, God, I see what you were doing. Yeah. And so, and I want to um, zone in on, on some of these points in your book and you mentioned suffering and, and I can see, totally how that would impact your life because your whole life was surrounded by that church. It was what you lived and breathed. It was your life. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. so many things were taken away in that moment from just not only just the church itself, having somewhere to go and, and do Bible teaching and help other women lead women. And just those relationships are so precious and dear. And I can see how that would definitely lead you down this path of questioning. And that's certainly something I can relate to personally. And I know our listeners can too. Speaking of suffering, I love what you wrote here. You said, the longer I live, the more I wonder if my ability to see God in my pain is rooted in the fact I'm not really looking for God. I'm looking for God to show up in the way that I want him to and give me what I hmm. want him to give. And I thought, wow, that is such an honest statement. And and truly, we have to be honest if we're ever going to navigate through suffering, honest with ourselves and with God. So um, unpack that a little bit for me, just that whole statement. Yeah. I, you know, it has been one of the most powerful statements in the book, and it's such a life reality. I, in fact, I'm working on a Bible study now, and, and I've been talking with my editor about this very concept, because we subconsciously have been sort of taught, I don't know where we get it, I don't know if it's teaching in the Western church, or just generally humanity, like we we pray, like one of the this ideas that we come and pray, and we say, don't give up, God will come through for you. And that statement seems so spiritual, right? I mean, of course, prayer, God's going to come through for us. 
for the challenge to think through even even that statement. Like, what does that mean when Christ has already been given to us? God has already come through for us. And so there's almost like a retraining that we need to have in our minds in terms of what the true gospel is. Every Christian would tell you, we get, we get it. Jesus is the gospel. He's our, he's the gift. Like I, but now, put us in a painful situation. And now we are told, you know, pray about it. God's going to answer you. Well, answer what? Mm. Well, I've got a list of, of options for him, right? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i single at 50. Like, I, you know, I've walked the single road. I mean, you know, and so you sort of like when things don't happen, you sort of resign yourself. Oh, you know, maybe that's not that important to God. And you sort of justify the situation and make excuses for God while all along missing the heart of it, which is our life isn't to get married. Our life isn't to have kids. Those are gifts. Those are good things. But that's not the central point of our life. And so for me, a lot of those you know desires that I've had have been rooted in serving the church and, of course, platform and, and influence and all those things. And, and you kind of wake up and go, you, you know, you sort of have to retrain your mind from going, okay, God, like, I know you want me to influence people for your gospel, for Jesus, but, but really the measures that we have for that are not scriptural, they're not biblical, they're not Christ-based. Mm-hmm. And so when you sort of start understanding how every area, I mean, this applies to us professionally, personally, spiritually, I mean, every way of our lives. And I think the big crisis that's happening in the United States, specifically in the evangelical church, is that I think we've been modeled this sort of quiet, prosperity, me-centered gospel, even by churches that say they're not that. Mm. And I think in, in my case, in my church experience, which is, again, a very typical church experience, I think it's, it's the, the story that I went through is a well-known story in Chicago. There's been several well-known stories. But this idea that these leaders that we're seeing are modeling this lifestyle of, if you obey God, he will come through for you. And we have a list of ways that we we might not say we believe it, but we're living it, like a big house, like big platforms, good book deals, good, you know, people who love us, platforms, and likes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. When in reality, what I see happening as a Lebanese woman now, I'm living here in the U.S. for the past 40 years, but my work, part of my work is in Lebanon with Syrian refugees. It's interesting uh, to see how... Um, the globe, like outside of the global church, outside of the United States, views their relationship with the Lord. Mm. And like I've, I've given examples in the book, of course, on and off here and there, I'll talk about some of the Syrian refugees who have left their Islam, you know, background, their Muslim background, has given their lives to the Lord. And they're not promised another house. They're not going back to their countries. Their kids aren't getting educated. Like they're still living in a tent. You know, you sort of see how they're perspective of Christianity is genuinely rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want that. And right. I think every Christian that says they want that shouldn't be surprised when our lives hit obstacles or storms that lead us back to those places where we kind of go, okay, this isn't about a rule book. This <laughs> isn't about an institutional rule that our church has put before us. This is so much deeper. It <laughs> is about a shepherd, a father who loves us so deeply who will never let us go and who's always there once we cut through that noise and that and that's really what happened to me in those years of struggle was to finally get to a place dark enough where the only light that I could see was the light of Jesus. Mm. And that's again, that's breakthrough. 
Hmm. Man, that is so powerful. And I love that you bring that up. And I think you're absolutely right. Just hitting the nail on the head with just the Western culture. And I, I think we have this mentality, which is we're driven culture, you know, here in America, you can do anything, you can create anything and you can, you know, you can win. You just got to work hard and strive yeah. hard. And it's all in the nature of you do this and then you will get this back. Right. Right. And so and we right. transfer that belief system onto God, like we obey, we do this, this and this, and we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed here, here yeah. and here. And we decide what kind of blessing we want when just like you said, like if we just we're missing the whole point, if we just take a look and shift that perspective that it's it's really not about us. It's not what we want. It's about Jesus. It's about doing his will. It's about serving him and living a, a selfless life. And in return, you get to be more holy. And even with that, blessings right. will be there, but it's not the kind of blessings we actually may think we're wanting. It's it's really more about what we need. Amen. I mean, you're exactly saying the truth. And I think I think we've taken like the strategies of the world and just applied them to the church. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it. I mean, look, this has been the last five years. I mean, it's been an era of like, there's been, I mean, this isn't the first time Christians have dropped, you know, have failed or there's been bad stories about Christian, you know, Christian leaders. But the, the number of them and the dramatic nature of them and the horribleness of them, like there's so many now. And I think this is beyond just, the, oh, now we have the Internet, therefore we hear them. No, I think the American church is hurting. And I think it's genuinely starting at that top layer of leadership. And, and granted, like I know when being, you know, in a church where the pastor is very charismatic and many people were willing to put up with a lot of sin because he was charismatic and was leading a lot of people to the Lord seemingly, but but that's not an excuse. And I think you can say, well, it's also part of the problem is the sheep because they're idolizing these leaders. But really, I think it is a leadership problem. Mm. And I've seen that more and more. Like there has been a cancer of poor leadership that has modeled a worldly, godless strategy of bringing success to the church that I just don't think is exemplified by Jesus. Mm. So good. Well, and that kind of leads me into um, something else you mentioned that can be a part of leading someone down to the deconstruction faith road, and uh, that's expectations. You know, we put expectations on God and what we think we deserve. And you mentioned when our Christianity has not lived up to our expectations, it's important to stop and figure out why. And I love that. And Did you have to do that in your own life? Yeah. I do it all the time. I still do it. I think there isn't like, this is so like freeing to understand. Like you don't just learn it once. You constantly are shaping expectations in prayer and in talking to God and dealing with God and other Christians that will deviate from the pure gospel. And God constantly has to like, like bring your attention back to the truth. And when, when, when expectations fail, so now you have to regroup and go, well, what do I really believe? And if you can't fall back on the truth of, first of all, who Christ is, but also the reality, the truth of his word. And I think that's now where the wrestling match has been happening in the last couple of years, which people say, well, I don't no longer believe the word of God. Well, what do you believe? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is he making up your own book? Like, you're just believing the air and looking around. I mean, this is where people want to see God, all, you know, and they feel the presence of God. They go to the beach, they sense that they go on the mountains. But really, at the end of the day, we've lost this idea that there is the truth given to us. And so you can't really separate, in my mind, Jesus from the Bible, like from the Word. Like, yes, I know Jesus supersedes him. Jesus is God. He's gained, he's resurrected, but he's given us his precious gifts of the Word. One habit that served me best in those years of wrestling, I'm going to call them, or use the term deconstructed, was this habit of reading scripture daily. Mm. And I 
promise you, Percy, I promise you that there were weeks where I would read and get nothing out of the Word of God. And, and it's, that's, that's the dark night of the soul, where it felt dry, where I would show up, and that's when the wrestling happens, because you go, what in the heck? What, what, I can't even hear you, Lord. Where are you? It's like Psalm 139. It's like Job. And then, again, he's not ever missing. It's just the purifying. I mean, look at the story of Job. I mean, there's a reason why it happened. And there was a lot going on in the background that Job didn't see at the beginning of the book. And so I think these same things happen to us in the Christian faith. But we almost just gloss over how closely our lives resemble the lives of someone like Job. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and, you know, and I, so I think at some point, I mean, to me, like, there came a point where I hit really a low point. I was going to counseling. I came home and I felt like I was knocking my head against the wall. Like, even the counselor wasn't understanding. Like, I'm going to the therapist and they don't even understand me. And I remember just <laughs> opening scripture. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's bad when you're like, what am I going to do now? My sister is like, stop calling me. I can't handle you. <laughs> and my mom, like, stopped answering the phone. She's like, I can't hear. I'm getting older. You know, and then you go to the therapist and, and <laughs> you're paying the money and they're not, you know, they're not, they're not getting you. And so you come home and, and it was just one of those cool Chicago days. And, and I just remember looking at the Bible and sort of rolling my eyes and thinking like, you've got to be kidding. Like, God, I'm not, what am I even going to open this for? Like, I'm not even seeing how this is going to help. And I, because I had no other resource, I just opened the Word of God, and it came across. I mean, how it opened was Psalm 22. I don't even know why my, my Bible never. I don't even believe in just randomly open scripture. But it were it, it was the passage where it was it was the words of the psalmist, but it was a prophetic word about Jesus. But it started talking about God. Why have you forsaken me? And the depth of feeling and identity that I saw, that the story I was reading, the words I was reading were me. And it was like in this moment of clarity, I understood. It was like I saw that it wasn't the psalmist, really. This was Christ. Like it was, it, Christ has lived this. Mm-hmm. These were the prophetic words of what Christ would live. Mm-hmm. And it was such a moment of, I think, personal intimacy and connection with Jesus that I felt like, okay, I'm understood and I'm deeply, deeply loved. And no, no, even in my worst questions about God, even with all this garbage that had been through my soul, somehow, God still loved me and was still there for me. And it was just the beginning. I mean, again, it's a process. Everything is a process. It was the beginning of sort of a light seeping. It was like a crack in the door. Mm-hmm. And then little by little. And I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm a thinker and I, I wrestle. And, and some of it is going to be that way until I die. But the Lord has and continues to be so close and faithful. So if you, anybody listening has felt any of these tensions, I mean, this book is really, I mean, I'm surprised how people get this book and, Everyone's reading is like buying five more copies for, for their relatives because it's like everybody knows six people who are deconstructing. And it's like, oh my gosh, I got to get them this book. And this is the best compliment anybody can give me. But I think it's, it's just because I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm very real in the book with my struggle. And mm-hmm. I think you get to a point in life where you go, I don't know, it's like the ER. Like you can't really get to the root of the problem if the patient doesn't undress. And I think sometimes writing, you have to just be willing to show your wounds in order to get better. And I think it was really both therapeutic for me and hopefully has been helpful for others. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I think you're, you're dead on with that. Just um, your honesty and vulnerability really opened the door for other people to do the same and be the same. And um, just leading into that, I mean, that leads into the intimacy with God. And the, the next point I wanted to talk about was you mentioned, how do we change our desires? Because that is a common, common 
um, thing, obviously with believers. We're like, okay, we love Jesus, but I'm still really struggling with this sin and I can't overcome this. And, and just touching on that, it goes back in my mind to the honesty and the surrender and the vulnerability and that intimacy with the Lord, um, to even overcome that. But that doesn't necessarily mean we always will be able to just constantly, you know, so speak to that for a minute. How, how do we change our desires? Two things, honestly. I think part of it, stop trying so hard. I, you know, we're, I, first, I'm bent to be a control freak. I'm an ER doctor, right? <laughs> I, I want to fix things. I, I don't yeah. know where my first order is, but like, I just want things to get better. So we have been also very trained to three things to do to be closer to God, five things to, you know, change in your life in order to find success. You know, like we want that formula. And I think there's a point where it's like, there is no formula. You just let God, God is the one who brought you to him. How do we wake up and know him? Mm. You see, and, oh, well, my mom gave me that. But it's not like that for everybody. So, so on one hand, let it go. Stop trying. Just tell him, God, I need my desires changed. Let God, this infinite being who spoke the word, world into existence, who sees you, who saved you, let him do the work that you cannot do. So that's on one side. And so you can trust that. And so there's a part where I think you just got to just do nothing. And so you don't have to read five chapters a day in order to prove to God that you're going through that Bible reading plan this year. And I am a fan of Bible reading plans, but I'm just saying that path has not amounted to success because we're trying to do the work. We're trying to change our desires. And so let it go. On the other side, be with God. He's the one you want to know. He's the one who's going to change your perspective. And so think about ways to be with God. And so the practical ways that God has given us to be with Him is Fill the word of God. Be in the places where God shows up. Show up to church, even if you don't feel anything in that moment. Even if you're mad at the church, the church ended up being part of my healing story. Even though the church was what threw me into a loop. And so, put yourself in environments with other Christians. People in my life who love Jesus were the ones who grabbed my arms and stayed with me in this place. Even I didn't tell them all of the details until the book came out, and they were just there with me. And so, put yourself in situations and with people and places that are going to surround you with. The presence of God, the, the spirit of God. Mm. And I think and, and, and when you're like, I don't know where to even do that, go for a walk and just tell God, God, you've got to change my desires. And I'm tell, I, it will, I, you wake up one day and you just realize that like, like God is doing things in your life. He's changing around the, the dynamics so that you wake up and go, man, the things that I used to want to do, I don't really want. I, the things I wanted, I now want differently. And the things that are good that you wanted, you might keep in your heart and life because maybe this desire is not bad and you've been trying so hard to destroy it. So, so I think trust them to guide that process more than you're doing right now. And it happens by letting go. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, just letting yourself off the hook, kind of like what you said about yep. we're, we're living in a fleshly body, just like Paul says, I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. You know, what a wretched man I am <laughs> who will rescue me from this body of death. And I think for me, I mean, I've struggled with various addiction. I've been sober now for, I guess, 15 years. And wow. I, I know what this feels like, where I'm like, I believe in God, but I cannot stop doing this. And I don't even know why. And then in my sobriety journey, though, I started realizing when I have these thoughts, instead of taking those on as shame and look, like, look, I'm a failure again. Yeah. It's more like, no, you're you're a human. You're, you're a fleshly person trying to battle this spiritual war within you all the time. And so then to overcome that, it, it truly, it was about me pursuing the intimacy with the Lord. And just like you're saying with scriptures, and the more I pursued that, the less strong my flesh became. 
but I had to let myself off the hook for those temptations. That's it's it. like, yeah, I'm tempted and I will admit I'm tempted in all kinds of ways. And, but it right. doesn't define me. Like our temptations don't define us. God defines us. And it took me a long time to come to that place. But man, the freedom that came from that was life changing. Like he loves you. Like it's like you can't fight it. It's like I know we can give ourselves zero grace. God's given us all the grace in the world. And somehow we still hold out with like thinking like, if we somehow reserve grace from us, like if we just don't receive his grace, that somehow we're making ourselves more worthy of his grace. But that's that's the opposite of grace. And so, yeah, it doesn't, grace doesn't seem fair, but that's precisely the point. Love that never lets go. And and, and there's been people in my life who have exemplified that to me. That's the gift of the incarnational love of Christians to one another, you know. And I think that's the gift of saying, okay, like God must, maybe he hasn't given up on me. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, I think if we can just receive this grace that God has so freely bestowed on us, which we all know in our heads, and we only learn to apply it in our lives when we go through seasons of fractured faith. Well, I I just love, I'm, I'm, I know we're about out of time. So I, there are a few statements I just wanted to share with our listeners um, that I think are just powerful statements to me. And you said Christian maturity is our ability to see God's hand in our most difficult circumstances and in our confusion. And I just love mm-hmm. that statement because I, I feel like uh, part of seeing God's hand leads to gratitude. And if you can have gratitude in your life, you can move forward in those difficult circumstances and in that confusion. And, uh, and one other thing you said, you said Christianity or Christian maturity is about escaping the exhaustion of trying to control the outcomes by releasing whatever mm. it is that's holding us back. You know, just that, that true surrender before we get out of here, do you want to um, just touch on that? I think at the end of the day, this is, um, this is the Christian life, right? Is to learn to live in a surrender. I've always said the summary of the Christian life is a five letter word, trust. Mm. And it takes trust to surrender and it takes trust to live the Christian life. Listen, not just like when you got saved, but moment by moment in your sanctification journey, which is a fancy way of saying, I, mean, I don't mean to all these like Bible words, because honestly, it just needs any relationship with Christ until you see him face to face. There's a lot of things that I have wanted in, in my life and ministry, both personally and in the ministry, that haven't happened yet. And and I think surrender is sort of saying, God, I know you've got this. I think it's, it's moving from doubting the goodness of God to trusting the goodness of God. Mm. I think that's probably the biggest shift that happened to me between 2013 and 2020. I went through a really dark period of doubting God's goodness. So I came at him with sort of like, why don't you fill in the blank? And I think the biggest shift happened to where now I just give God the benefit of he's good. He's good and he loves me. And now, okay, God, with that in mind, do what you want to do. Yeah, You know, like you might turn things around. You might do it today, tomorrow, the next day. So it's sort of like this assumption of his goodness. That's the biggest gift of surrender is saying, no matter what's going on, I trust your goodness and not just saying the words, but feeling them deep in your soul. Mm-hmm. And just remembering too, I mean, and I love what you talk about when you say wrestling with your faith does not have to lead to deconstruction. It can actually lead to the rebuilding of it. And, and Amen. God is big enough for all of our wrestling and he welcomes it because it really can lead to a, a renewed just spirit in your faith. And, uh, mm. 
And I, I just really appreciate your words throughout this entire book. Like I said, I had six, literally 16 pages of, of notes. <laughs> I, I ran out April. of copy paper. <laughs> when I was trying to print it That's off. Funny. I ran out of copy paper. But just kind of a recap for our listeners about this book, um, just covering these five things that almost destroyed Dr. Lena's faith, suffering, expectation, rejection, surrender, and justice. Like, is God fair? We want you to check this book out because it will really speak to you. If you've ever doubted, ever wrestled with God, this is the book for you. We really want to che- want you to check it out. It's called, again, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And Dr. Lena, before I let you go, how can our listeners find you? Oh, the best way is on my website, livingwithpower.org. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook the most, although I'm also on Twitter, but Instagram is probably my most active social media. If you can figure out how to spell my last name, <laughs> then you can find me. But it's, it's, it's phonetic. Abu Jamra, like I be jamming. And so look for me there, but uh, check me out at livingwithpower.org. We got so much on our website, free resources, connections to our retreat house the work we're doing in Lebanon. And I'd love to hear from you if you're listening. And you also have your podcast. The Living with Power Hope podcast. And you can also find links to it from our website, the livingwithpower.org website. And yeah, the podcast is fun. I'm going through a crazy series right now, the Dear Lena series. I talk about like stuff that most Christians are like, I'm never going to talk about that in public. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have been such a delight to talk to and thanks for wrestling through this topic with us today. And uh, you are a blessing for sure, a difference maker, and you make an impact for the kingdom. So we appreciate you. And I'll I'll end with this final statement that you made um, before we get out of here. The glorious truth is that you cannot escape that God has not failed you. He's been right there all along waiting for you to come home. And he's holding up a sign that says, welcome back to me. Thank you, Dr. Lena. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Brave Place, part of the KLRC Podcast Network.